even if you do have certain underlying medical conditions, if the MCA deem that risk to be significant, they may restrict individual things such as no loan working or only operating in daylight hours. That could be potentially catastrophic to many thousands of fishermen within our industry. So back to uh, my plea to fishermen to get this medical examination ahead of time. Get ahead of compliance. I always like that word. I think Clive told me about it or phrase first. Is we're not trying to sort of meet, be compliant. We're trying to get ahead of it and above it. So we've got the medical coming up the deadline by November, but it's not about leaving it and giving you a call or someone else in the middle of summer. It's the time is now to get a bit organised, understand what's possible. How does it apply to you and your vessel? I spend so much of my time listening to fishermen saying, I'm so glad I spoke to you. I haven't been sleeping. I hear that more than once a week. This new code is having a major effect on the mental health of fishermen, okay? People are worried sick. If you actually pick the phone up and ask for help, there's a lot of help to be had. Good day all and welcome back to the Fathom Podcast as we kick off the first episode for 2023. And with that, we begin a whole new series. Not quite sure where we are with the number of Fathom series these days. A lot has happened since we started back in 2019. But counting our collaboration with the NFFO last year, I think we're about starting our fourth series. So really good stuff. Uh, before we start, just a quick mention of our thanks to our funder, the Seafarers Charity. We are very grateful for their ongoing support to enable this podcast to continue. Fathom has been backed by the Seafarers Charity since its inception in 2019. So it's really positive to have their ongoing support and recognise this as an important communications tool to help unravel all of the complexities in the UK fishing industry. And it's not just for fishermen. This works in multiple ways for multiple audiences. So we try and serve as a platform to help everyone better understand one another and seek to find our way forward. As for 2023 plans, we're planning on releasing episodes every other month. So make sure you look out for new episode announcements on social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can also go into the CFPO website and enter your mobile number. That will send you a text alert every time we put out a new episode. So plenty of ways to follow us and keep track of what's happening. And we, as always, we really welcome interaction on all social media, as well as giving us a call in the office or uh, drop an email anytime about things you want us to look at or uncover or bring forward as future themes on the episodes. So yeah, make sure you interact and engage with us. It's always really welcomed. That aside, let's get into this new episode. It's been a good while since I sat down with some of our safety experts. So in this episode, we welcome on Charles Blythe from the National Federation of Fishermen's Organisations. Charles is making his Fathom debut. Really good to have him on. And with that, we bring on Fathom's long-serving safety co-host, Clive Palfrey from Seafood Cornwall Training. Given that we didn't delve into fishing safety throughout the whole of 2022 on Fathom, we are well overdue a refresh on what the industry is currently facing, what's out there on the horizon that we need to be aware of, and we really need to get a good understanding of what sort of support is available to the industry in helping adapt, evolve, and get beyond compliance. So in this episode, we're going to cover a whole range of issues, starting with medicals, some big deadlines coming up at the end of this year, lifting equipment, guidance on enclosed working spaces, and to cap it off, we'll cover what support, sort of human support, project support and finance support to help us adapt and evolve. Anyway, that's plenty for me to get this new series underway. I'm going to hand over to our safety experts, Charles and Clive. Thanks, Chris. Um, 
my, my name is Charles Blythe. I am the risk, safety and training lead for the NFFO. So all topics safety and um, regulatory, I help advise our members and the wider industry on how to comply and how to improve safety. Um, before my current role, I had five years time served as an MCA surveyor, where I was one of the main fishing vessel surveyors in the UK. And before that, um, I completed a degree in naval architecture. Right on. The man for the job. <laughs> Good stuff. And Clive, do you want to just, just remind people, in case there's any new listeners out there? Uh, my name's Clive Palfrey, and um, I'm a safety advisor for Seafood Cornwall Training. And we run the um, Cornish PO <coughs> safety project. And we're in year three, I think now, maybe coming into year four. We're sort of pretty, pretty bred into this now of um, dealing with safety issues to start with. And then moving on, we're now sort of spending a lot of time dealing with the new code um, that the MCA brought out. So if you want to just crack on with that, really, I mean, the last time we met, Chris, we were talking about the introduction of the new code. So the new code of practice for under 15 metre fishing vessels came in on the 6th of September 2021. And all our safety talk on this podcast was before that. And we were trying to give guys the heads up with the help of Roger G from the MCA. That's now been rolled out for well over a year, isn't it? You know, we're talking probably 15 months. So we, we're sort of still learning. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot more to come. And I'm sure Charles will enlighten us on some of that in a minute. But we're right in that now. If you look at it, um, your fishing vessel gets inspected by the MCA once every five years. We are quarter of the way through that. If we inspect the same amount of vessels every year, then three quarters of the vessels in the southwest have still got to go through this process. That's good to know, Clive. Yeah, and it's good to do that little recap, actually, on sort of where we were last time and where we are in the process. And as you say, a lot has been learned in, in, since we last spoke. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to pick up on anything there immediately, Charles. Yeah, I think it's worth um, just touching on the new code. It's clear it's been a massive learning curve for not only the industry, but also the regulator. Um, the way the code is written opens it up to quite a lot of interpretation from what I've seen. And this is resulting in some owners reading the document differently to how the MCA are. And this is where I've seen the most friction come about. But equally, I've also seen the regulator work very hard with the industry when there is a disagreement with how the code is interpreted. And I encourage and hope that that continues um, and that fishermen aren't hit with a heavy stick in terms of um, this new code. But I think um, the stability was a big issue at the start of this implementation of the new code. But I say luckily... Um, the regulator has seen that that wasn't quite working and they have now amended their policy, which means for the industry, most vessels will not be um, negatively affected by the new stability requirements. And a few which are, it is probably justified. I mean, I, I just add to that is um, sat in with Clive not long ago in the southwest here in Newland. There was a, a workshop, a sort of update, a presentation from the MCA with a lot of fishermen involved in that. And uh, it was a chance to kind of share a few thoughts and maybe frustrations, but, uh, you know, really understand what we're doing here. And, and the response there from the MCA was to really work with our sort of trusted people and the people that have got, you know, the access to getting the message through back to the top or back up through the ladder. And both of your guys' names were mentioned there. Well, obviously, Clive was in the room, but as well, you know, really channeling this through to get a bit of cohesion and sort of thought back from the industry. And obviously, having you, Charles, involved now on a national level, 
the scope to kind of get that feedback from the industry and like you say back to the regulator so you, are you sort of seeing a bit of that now is there a bit of a bit of traction i'd love to say yes but unfortunately um for one reason or another there has been quite an exodus of um staff at the mca recently which is making my day-to-day job of getting these messages across a lot more difficult the lights are on but nobody's home a lot of the time so um we are working with the mca to see how we can address that yeah, it's quite a difficult time, I think, for the regulator on top of government budgetary constraints, which they're have, currently having to work towards as well. That's good to know. I think it's really important that we sort of done that bit of a recap, bit of a refresh. I suppose looking at what we were sort of really wanting to cover or what you guys see as kind of priorities for the year ahead and, and definitely from experience in the southwest from sort of the second half of last year. Well, we've been through a lot in terms of vessel safety, but obviously we're here for health and safety. So it seems like sort of fishermen's health now is definitely creeping up the agenda, up the priority list. And that is something that we really want to kind of cover in this podcast. So it's probably a good time to get stuck into the medical element of health and safety. So do you want to give us a bit of a, an insight into where this is coming from and and sort of key things we need to tune into for this year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm sure most fishermen have heard on the key about the upcoming implementation of fishermen's medical examinations. Um, for a lot of the industry, this is a requirement already, i.e. if you are at sea for more than 72 hours, all crew members should already hold a valid medical um, certificate. However, on the 30th of November of this year, 2023, all fishermen will be required to have this medical examination certificate. This could have quite a big consequence on certain um, members of our industry if they have certain underlying health conditions. So I would encourage all fishermen to try and go for their examination ahead of time, as this will help these individuals identify any shortcomings in their health which they may need to work on in order to continue working. There is two options for fishermen to um, pursue. The first is what we call an ENG1 medical examination. This is what all seafarers in the UK would have to um, achieve. This typically lasts for two years and is undertaken by an MCA approved doctor. So you can't just go to your local GP and get this examination. The other option for UK fishermen is something called an ML5. This is only applicable really for day inshore boats who are not at sea for more than 72 hours. This examination can be done by your local GP um, and if you pass, you would get a ticket valid for five years. There are pros and cons of both examinations, which I'm sure Clive will touch on in a second, and each suit different individuals in a different way i think you're right there they you know they are two similar but totally different medicals i've done both i did both last year the the eng1 is a tougher medical okay it's used worldwide as a medical for seafarers um and 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 you have to go to a qualified mca recommended doctor so the first problem is getting a slot booking in it's not easy them they might not be local to where you live they're generally around populated areas. They're both the same price. They're about £120, I think. 
And the ENG one, like you say, only lasts for two years, but it's a, it's a higher grade of medical and, it, and it's valid all around the world. I think that I'm right in saying that, Charles. Yes, absolutely. And just on the note of um, cost, Clive, I am aware that the MCA have just gone to consultation regarding removing the cap of the fee for an ENG one. I'm not sure when this will come into force, but it is likely there will be no maximum price for this medical examination. So going forwards, Fishermen need to be aware that this price is subject to variation and subject to competition. The industry have been fighting back at that as it could come at a huge cost to fishermen. And we're waiting to see the final outcome as to whether or when this will be implemented by the MCA. So just bear that in mind going forwards. Okay, well, that's really interesting. Like you say, we'll have to monitor that and um, keep people informed if the cost starts to go up a lot. And then you've got the ML5. And I think the big advantage of the ML5 which is, like you said, it's for inshore fishermen. If you go in outside the 12-mile limit, I believe, and if you're on about over 15 metres, and if you're doing more than 72 hours at sea, you have to have an ENG-1. An ML-5 is only for inshore fishermen. But the advantages of the ML-5 is you can go to your local GP. So um, I think that's a bit reassuring that you, you go into somebody that, that you already know. Uh, the examination isn't so tough. As an ENG one, there's not a great deal of difference, but it is a little bit easier, I found. And if you've got a full bill of health, it lasts five years. I will say, I think both exams, once you reach the age of 65, you have to do them annually. So fishermen need to look at that. I mean, that would be quite a big cost, you know, if they're 120 pounds and that might go up. Um, so that's sort of what I know about it. That's what I'm sort of saying to fishermen. You need to think, you need to plan. Don't leave it to the last minute. Charles, you talked about underlying health issues. The way I understand it is if you've got a health issue that's being treated and it's under control, then it's not a problem getting a medical with most things. I think, is that right? You're right in saying that. However, it is important to note that even if you do have certain underlying medical conditions, if the MCA deem that risk to be significant, they may restrict individuals, things such as no loan working or only operating in daylight hours. And the initial feedback I've received from that is that that could be potentially catastrophic to many thousands of fishermen within our industry who would operate single-handedly. So that backs up uh, my plea to fishermen to get this medical examination ahead of time in case there is anything which can be addressed, which would mean you don't have to be restricted to no loan working. Uh, there's a lot of, rightly so, there's a lot of fishermen who are quite concerned with this caveat and how this will affect their business viability. And they are encouraged to get help and try and go through the process ahead of time to stamp out any issues. So um, really one to watch out for, as this could have quite a big impact on our inshore fleet. I think also maybe it's a good point just to mention um, the CFIT organisation. OK, so if you are concerned about this and you feel that you might have health issues that may affect this medical, then you can you can speak to CFIT. I haven't got the links and the telephone numbers here at hand, but I'm, I'm sure that um, Chris can supply that at the end. I think that's a really good point, Clive. Um, just touch on that. It, it's understanding what support's available to people as we go through this. So, you know, these are quite new expectations, I suppose, isn't it, of, of the industry to get to this level, get to this level of health. Some people are going to be fine, but others are definitely going to find an issue or a challenge or somewhere along the line. So I think those deadlines are kind of really important that we highlight 
November is the deadline, but like you say, Charles, getting in early, sorting this stuff out. If you've got any problems, you've got a bit of a window there to rectify it. And like Clive highlighted, you've got other projects, other support services that we'll make sure we put in and package up when we put this podcast out to send people to, to help them get to where they need to get to. Okay, cool. Well, thanks guys. That's good. I think like you say, we've, uh, this is health and safety. So we ticked the health box there, but certainly diving into more safety issues now, um, chatting with you guys earlier this year, just sort of mapping out what we've got to be aware of. It certainly seems like something like lift lifting equipment, uh, is on your radar, Charles. Do you want to kick off with that or, uh, just give us a bit of an understanding yeah. of why you see this as something that we should be aware of? Yeah, sure. So, um, every week, Chris, I'm in different harbors throughout the UK just speaking on the key and looking at various vessels and one thing which i keep seeing no matter where i am and again and again is unmaintained lifting equipment in my previous occupation unfortunately i dealt with several deaths with failed lifting equipment so it is something particularly close to my heart but from what i see on a daily basis the industry doesn't quite know how to comply with the regulations or how to have a safe system of work with respect to their lifting equipment. Um, regulations do exist specifically for lifting operations on fishing vessels, and these have been around since 2006. The fundamentals of these regulations and the Lolo and Pure regulations mandate that equipment should be fit for purpose. It should be inspected at a regular interval by a competent person, and the whole system needs to be efficient in its use. And on top of that, the person using that equipment needs to be competent and proficient in how to use it. So fundamentally, this means that all shackles, blocks, etc. should be inspected um, on a monthly basis, at least. And the way I see it, you cannot effectively inspect such a piece of equipment without getting your hands on it. So looking up at your gantry at a block 20 metres away, to me, that doesn't cut it. Something I see very regularly is worn eyelets on strong points. These can often be hidden by shackles, etc. So it's hard to see the full condition of that. So something I just would encourage people to pay particular attention to is strong points and when those strong points start to wear. Uh, something which I also see lacking or lacking completely is the requirement to have an annual independent inspection of lifting equipment some companies where i'm based in the southwest are starting to do this more regularly and i hope that continues to go in an upward um, trajectory um i'm not sure if clive's got any um experiences from his recent visits on mckee as well or i think yeah i think there's two or three things going on here um firstly you've got lola that's what you've just basically talked about, lifting operations, lifting equipment regulations. But what the fisherman needs to get his head around is he's looking at that equipment every time he hauls and shoots his gear. So he understands that equipment better than anyone, better than the MCA, better than any, any engineer that comes aboard the boat. What he needs to do is he needs to make sure it's fit for purpose when he starts. So he's got a start point. So he's got some certificates that go with his blocks and his shackles and stuff like that. And then he needs uh, you know, a spreadsheet moving forward or something similar uh, of a record of these monthly inspections. A lot of these guys are doing it visually, but they just need to sort of create some paperwork to go with it. But the most important thing is that start point where it's fit for purpose when it goes up. And then it's serviced on an annual basis. And then we got poor 
which is provisions of useful working equipment and regulations. So that's more of your, your mechanical side of stuff, you know, your engines, you know, the condition of your pipework, stuff like that. Probably power tools would come under that. We need to start looking at as well, loads of MCA inspections I go to, they're asking for maintenance records. And all of this comes under maintenance, you know. Um, knowing what you've got when you start with, what you've bought, what you've put aboard your boat, looking after it on a regular basis, and then, you know, annually getting it reserviced. And I think that we just need to put these things in, in little boxes, what's lower, what's pure, what we, you know, what we're using for lifting. That's really, really important to us, as you've already said, Charles, you know, because it's so, so dangerous. Some of these guys, like I say, they're, they're hauling every hour. So they've got a real, real good understanding of what works and whatever. But what they've got is no paper record, no paper trail. And I think what I'm trying to do is explain why that's so important, why we've got these records. You know, if there is an incident or an accident, then it might not be our fault. It might be that something's failed, but we've got those records to back up that we've got a good, good understanding of lifting and maintenance. Would I be right saying that? Yes, absolutely, Clive. And on, on top of these existing regulations, the ILO 188 implementation further puts additional onus on vessel owners to make sure this lifting equipment is safe and fit for its intended purpose and that the crew operating it have the relevant training to operate it safely. It seems like there's this sort of increased expectation again without bumping into one or you two or listening to this it seems like there's always that quite high level regulations, a lot of complexity. How do you get it down to the key? How do you get people to really understand it, digest it, and then take the action that, that's being suggested? I think, Chris, that we're starting to put on, well, not starting, we've been putting on workshops now for three years at Seafood Cornwall Training with the Safety Project. And people need to turn up to these workshops. They can ring us, email us. You can ring Charles. You can even get hold of the MCA. But what's really important moving forward if you've got a, a, an MCA inspection coming up, whether it's a change of ownership, a five-year inspection or an out-of-water inspection, then you, you need advice, okay? And the same with like your, your Lola, you, you need advice. You cannot do this on your own. The code is completely changed fishing, okay, and the safety side of fishing. And, and anyone that can get through this without outside help is going to do really, really well. You know, even small boats, okay, just stuff like, what do I need in my safety folder? Every fishing vessel needs a safety folder, a safe management system, okay? Even if it's a Sigma 19 out of some cove, uh, single-handed, and you're a part-time fisherman catching a few bass, okay? You need uh, just a bit of advice of the correct paperwork. It's really, really important, and, and the safe working practices around your vessel. And there are schemes out there. There, there are what we do, okay? Um, the Charles is the same with the NFFO, okay, or ringing the MCA, or if you've got, you know, most big companies now have got consultants that do this for them because it's that important. Please don't bury your head in the sand. I come across too many fishermen that are coming up for a five-year inspection, and then at the last minute they ask me to come and have a look at their boat, and it's too late. You know, the cost of refitting that boat to get it through. An inspection can be colossal if you're not on the ball with it. We've just done a workshop in literally every harbour in the southwest um, before Christmas. We're going to start again now. So if people want to come along, drop us a line or they want a workshop in their village, their town or their port, 
we will come and give this advice. Yeah. And it is important to note while we're on the topic of lifting equipment, there is a provision within the safety folder, which if you provide the right input into that system, it will give you a monthly inspection regime and a way of recording your examinations of your lifting equipment. So a bit of preliminary work while setting up a safety folder can save you a lot of time, worry and effort in the long term. Definitely the workshops are the ultimate way to go, aren't they? But maybe we need some other sort of, I always find sort of print materials as much as online stuff is probably essential for the fishing industry, something there that people can grab and pick up out of a a town hall or somewhere close to port or the fisherman's cafe or the or the resource center training center or po office keeping up to date with stuff and then an encouragement to get there meet with one of you guys in person at a workshop that's what's going to really make that shift and change in behavior and get people on the front foot with this yeah. we, we, just so you know chris we are at the nffo working on some sort of awareness piece for lifting equipment to help give the industry the um, core information they need to comply with the regulations and be safe so watch this space spot on yeah good stuff charles swiftly moving on we will dive into another point that you guys both raised as something that we all need to be aware of again for this year is enclosed spaces and i know charles you sort of touched on it briefly saying we've got a few imminent changes there regulation again yeah sure so um in May of 2022, some new regulations were published by the MCA, the Merchant Shipping and Fishing Vessel Enclosed Spaces Regulations. This allowed the fishing industry a one-year phasing period to comply with the new regulations. So of May of this year, 2023, all fishing vessels will be expected to comply Luckily, this doesn't have too much of a consequence on the majority of fishing vessels, as fishing vessels are exempt from undertaking drills and testing of atmosphere within confined spaces on fishing vessels. However, every single UK fishing vessel from May of this year should have completed a risk assessment for the entry into enclosed spaces on board their vessels. To me, this means that any enclosed space should be identified on board a vessel and suitable mitigation should be put in place before any person enters that space. From what I've seen, there is a slight disparity between what the industry may see as an enclosed space and what the regulator may see as an enclosed space. A prime example of this is a fish hold. The MCA consider this to be an enclosed space if it is not regularly entered, which I completely agree with in actual fact. And if a fish room is not clean and there's um, rotting fish, etc., the oxygen levels in that space may deplete. Furthermore to that, many fish rooms do not have forced ventilation, and that means that the airflow into that space is often restricted or limited. Clive, do you want to sort of add any thoughts, your experiences from being out and about on the quay on this? Generally, the way we look at it and the work we've done with the MCA is, you know, your hotspots on under 15 metre fishing vessels, what I try to concentrate on with the new code and whatever, is your rudder room and your chain locker. And to be fair, not many vessels nowadays that we go aboard have a chain locker. But they're, they're the ones that are proper enclosed spaces, an area that's not entered on a regular basis with poor or no ventilation. So we just need to be looking at how we manage that. I think maybe, Charles, we might want to talk a little bit about um, fish room gases. 
And as I understand it, on the smaller fishing vessels, the refrigerated gas is not at a high enough level to hurt anyone. Is that correct if it leaks? Yeah, that is my understanding. The amount of um, refrigerant gas needed to operate these systems is so negligible, um, not all the time, but most of the time, that even if that system was to leak, the effect on crew on board the vessel is likely to be low. However, there are other gases which may be a risk within those spaces, such as hydrogen sulfide, carbon monoxide and low oxygen levels from the degradation of steel and rotting fish. So I think the moral of the story is with the topic of a fish room, keep that space well maintained, keep surfaces coated and keep the whole place clean and tidy, and the risk is likely to be mitigated then. I've been in regular conversations with the regulator and how they expect fishing vessels to comply with these regulations, seeing as the requirements for testing equipment does not apply to fishing vessels. Um, to me, the only way to objectively determine if a space is safe or not is with atmospheric testing equipment. So there's a few ways of looking at this. Because that equipment is not mandatory um, through the regulations, this may mean that vessels could obtain these pieces of equipment with the assistance of grant funding. So I'd absolutely encourage any fishing vessel, if they have an enclosed space, to pursue um, purchasing atmospheric testing equipment, which from what I've seen can cost around £500 and use the grant system to try and get a lot of that cost covered. Yeah, thanks, Charles. I think you made a good point there about the level of financial support, grant funding support that's out there to help the industry get ahead of compliance. I always like that word. I think Clive told me about it or phrase first. Of We're not trying to sort of meet, be compliant. We're trying to get ahead of it and above it. So on that note, um, obviously, there's been for, for a long time some level of grant aid to help the industry do that, uh, whether that's been European Union money, but more recently we've had our own national funding programs, whether it's the Marine and Fisheries Fund or Fisheries and Seafood Scheme, which is live now and uh, still in place for another couple of years, I believe. Um, but that's always there to help the industry get above and beyond. It won't cover things that are mandatory, which I'm sure you guys can touch on in a minute, but getting ahead of compliance, it's certainly there to help help us do that as a, as a whole. So um clive if you want to just pick up on that i know you do a lot of work down in the southwest and you team up with the the animator project there to sort of piece the two things together where you might think somebody needs the support and they're eligible for support and yeah i think i think what's really important is um you know moving forward with these grants is just to go back to the code okay there was a transitional period of two years for some of the stuff in the code so one of the main things that springs to mind is rail height so if your rails are not high enough you can have railings made of, you know, mainly stainless steel is what they use around the boats. You see them all the time. They are still grantable, but only until September this year. There was a two-year phasing in period for some of this stuff. That's the one that springs to mind that most people are going for. So there are grants there. Yes, there are. There's probably more to tap into than you actually understand. If you haven't done a grant before, you can tap in on stuff like, PPE, protective equipment, um, you know, rail heights, non-slip decks, stuff like that, that you might not understand there. So now's the time. Do not leave it any longer. If you need stuff that might be in the code that's in the transitional period, you've got until September to get this sorted. And then those transitional grants will stop. 
Yeah, that's really good to know. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's like we've got the medical coming up with a deadline by November. Again, another deadline here, September, but it's not about leaving it and giving you a call or someone else in the middle of summer. It's the time is now to get a bit organized, understand what's possible. How does it apply to you and your vessel? What's the opportunity there to get some financial support? Take advantage of that is what it's there for and get ahead and not have to worry about it or be you know, the person that found out about it the day after it finished. I spend so much of my time listening to fishermen saying, I'm so glad I spoke to you. I haven't been sleeping. I hear that more than once a week. This new code is having a major effect on the mental health of fishermen. Okay, people are worried, sick. And actually, these uh, podcasts, come, they come across sometimes a bit doom and gloom, Chris, because it's like you need this, you need that, you need that. If you actually pick the phone up and ask for help, there's a lot of help to be had. If your boat is in good work and order, then you're halfway there. What you might need to put a safety folder together, you might need some railings that, you know, let's talk about the grants. You know, it, it, uh, I think if you're uh, static fishing, is it under 12 metres? I think your grant is 80%. I believe that tow gear is 50%, but has that just increased to 60%? Yeah, I think that's just happening now. So, you know, there are huge pots of money to, to, to tap into. And there's lots of knowledge and help there with stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I just want to reiterate the point. This funding is only available if you are ahead of the regulations. It serves no benefit if you are reacting to something which is already mandatory in your vessel. They will not help fund it. So this is essentially rewarding people being compliant ahead of time. And um, as Clive said, there's several um, professionals within our industry who will help guide you through this whole process free of charge to stop you guys suffering that mental anxiety and stress that is currently being put on the industry. Yeah, spot on, guys. That's a really good way to wrap it up, I think. I think it's understanding that, yeah, we've been we've come a long way, I think, probably since we last talked about this, Clive. But since then, Charles has been put in post. Clive, your project has, like you say, years down the line now lots of learning lots of understanding lots of opportunity to people get this support get the help workshops going out to the community we're certainly moving in the right direction and it's just making sure people are keeping proactive on this and getting ahead of it and not waiting to the deadline i think that's the kind of strong message here and no better way to start the year just sort of mapping those things out and then hopefully anyone who listens to this want to know a little bit more you guys are out there and available and we'll make sure we publish all the details on other things that we've mentioned whether it's the get cfit project the the animator project that can help understand and unlock some of the funding. And no doubt we'll have both of you back on later in the year, probably pick up something in the summer as a either a reminder or see how we're getting on with this stuff or anything else that's that's kicked off on the horizon that we need to tune into. So great to have two of the uh, top experts on fishing, health and safety. And uh, yeah, thanks guys. Fathom was brought to you by the Cornish Fish Producers Organisation with support from Seafarers UK.